Good morning. Today's uh, scripture reading is taken from Hebrews 4, 1 to 13. Hebrews 4, 1 to 13. Verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is God's word. Thank you. Thanks, swimming for reading God's word for us. <clears throat> Good morning, beloved family and friends in Christ. I know we have a couple of new visitors and friends this morning. A warm welcome to you as well. I'm Oliver. I'm one of the pastors serving in this church. For the month of June, We'll be taking a break from our series in Romans and instead we'll be doing a short series on biblical theology. What is biblical theology? It's more than just theology that is from the Bible. It is a way of reading the Bible that attempts to derive meaning and connection from the biblical text itself while being guided by the whole canon of Scripture. <clears throat> there are different but overlapping definitions given of biblical theology. And one of the simplest that I've come across is by this guy called Michael Lawrence. He, he was here a couple of years ago. He, he says this, Biblical theology is the attempt to tell the whole story of the whole Bible as Christian scripture. It's a story, therefore, that has authoritative and normative claim on our lives because it's the story of God's glory in salvation, through judgment. Or another way to put it, 
Biblical theology tells us what does the Bible itself say about a particular theme or topic as part of the unfolding big story in Scripture, which ultimately finds its meaning, fulfillment and combination in the person and work of Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. We'll be looking at the themes of rest, fear, fatherhood, marriage and work in the next five Sundays. And just as there are different but overlapping definitions of biblical theology, there are different but overlapping approaches to how someone can do biblical theology. Some of us will look at a topic through the four acts of the Bible. I mean, some of you have heard about these four acts, right? Creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. So, for example, you can approach the topic of work and look at what happens to work in these four acts of the Bible. For example, in Act 1, creation, work is good and man is created to work. In Act 2, the fall, as a result of the fall, the effort involved in work and the results of work is cursed. But work itself is still good. And so on and so on. I'll leave the rest to Sam, because Sam will be preaching on work in a couple of weeks. Another way to do biblical theology is to follow a motif or a pattern and follow that thread through the Bible. For example, you can follow this pattern or motif of the temple and see how it develops in the Bible. The Garden of Eden as the prototype temple where God meets with men. Then you can see the construction of the tabernacle by Israel where Israel meets with God. The temple in Jerusalem built by Solomon for the nation of Israel to meet with God. And then how in Jesus Christ, God tabernacled with men and dwelt among us, meeting with us. That's one way to do that. Or another way is simply to go to a passage of the Bible and then identify the different threads of the patterns of the themes that appear and then tuck on them and see what comes before this passage and what comes after this passage in the Bible. What I'll be doing will be using mainly this later approach on the theme of rest today. But most importantly, biblical theology finds its fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So in this sense, biblical theology is a Christ-centered approach, and I would argue a Christian approach to reading the Bible. Okay? I mean, I was tasked to give an introduction, so enough of this introduction to this new series of messages. Let's pray and we can start on the message proper and we can look at rest, good news for harried souls. Let's pray. Father God, we humbly ask that you open our eyes to see the wonderful things in your word. Show us Jesus Christ. Show us our need for him. We pray that your Holy Spirit will use your word to transform us so that as your people, we will live lives that will please you and bring you much glory. As for myself, God, I pray that you have mercy on me, a sinner, and use me for your purposes and to tell of your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> How can we find true rest? It's 1.30 in the morning and you're still working on a work project whose deadline is in three days. It's 6.30pm in the evening and as a student, you are just leaving your school 
after a long day to yet more homework after dinner. It's 3.30pm in the afternoon and you just managed to put your toddler to sleep and now you have to prepare dinner. It's 9pm and you have been in the office since 8.30 in the morning and now you are in church serving in the worship ministry and it's still not done yet. Does this describe you? For the worker, the student, the stay-at-home parent, and many of us serving in church, our lives are filled with simply too many things to do. As a result, our souls are anxious, worried, harried, and restless. Even when we take a holiday, what do many of us do on our holidays? We bring our laptops, we bring our smart devices, and we do work on our holiday. Don't smile and look away. I know some of us do that. I've travelled with some of us. We do that, don't we? And one symptom of the unrest many Singaporeans face, and we have achieved another world-class first, okay, we are among the most sleep-deprived in the world. Yeah, well, we want to be first in everything. It's due to our fast-paced stress of living and due to sleep disorders, which in itself is also caused by our lifestyles. So my friends, the question we ask is, how can we find true rest? Even when we struggle to find physical rest and sleep for six or seven hours a night. What is true rest in the midst of our busy, choke-a-block activities of our 21st century life here in Singapore? Do we have hope that we can even find rest? Can we even find true rest? So let's take a look at what God's words tell us about rest. I only have three points for today. Firstly, we'll cover the promise of true rest. We'll talk about how we should strive to enter true rest. And then some, some suggestions about rest for harried Singaporeans. So turn with me to Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4, and keep your fingers in Hebrews 4. We will spend much of our time in this text, but I'll refer back to other parts of the Bible as well, but we will definitely come back to Hebrews 4 often. But, and just a little context to the letter of Hebrews before we jump into the text. The letter of Hebrews to the Hebrews is written to Christians of Jewish background. Due to the increasing difficulties faced by them and the persecution experienced, in the second half of the first century, these Christians were tempted to give up on Christianity, to give up on Christ, and go back to the state-approved and Roman-sanctioned religion of Judaism. What the author of Hebrews did then is to call his audience to faith and endurance because Jesus Christ is better. Christians are then to persevere in the faith. And the section we'll be looking at today in Hebrews 2, Hebrews 3, 7 to 4, 13 gives a warning to these Christians and also to us as church today that there is a rest available for the people of God and we are to strive to enter into this rest because God gives us true rest in Jesus Christ. We can trust and enter into God's rest. You know, I recently received an email that went like this. Congratulations, Mr. Oliver. You have won 
in a, a lucky draw. You know, I'm sure some of you have received emails like this, right? These emails always give you the promise of a reward, but they are scams. And we realize that the misspelled words are definitely a clue, right? Most of us do not believe what is promised in these emails. And what do we do? We promptly click on the delete or report spam button. But my friends, what if the promise was true? It was reported by the BBC. Okay, it's a little small here. Okay, it's reported by the BBC in 2007. There was this Portuguese uh, royalty, aristocrat, and he left 70 total strangers his fortune. Now imagine with me, if you're one of the 70 who receive an email telling you that you have come into a fortune, what would you do? What would you do? Okay? Would you click on delete or report spam? Maybe. But what if the promise was actually true? To receive this benefit, you first have to believe the promise fortune. And then, you have to obey the instructions in this email in order to receive the reward that is promised you. You obey because you believe the promise. And here we see in Hebrews chapter 4, the people of God were given a promise in Hebrew, here. Therefore, while the promise of entering His, meaning God's rest, still stands, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have failed to reach it. God's people were given a promise of rest. And rest, as used in Scripture, can mean cause to stop or to cease. But it can also mean the rest or resting place that God gives His people. And the latter meaning is used here. God gave a promise of entering His resting place. The promise still stands. What does this mean? Did something happen that placed the promise in peril, that jeopardizes the promise? And this is where the therefore in verse 1 points us to the verses before in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15 to 19. So in your Bibles, just look at the few verses before and keep your finger there. And if you scan the passage, you realize that it quotes from Psalm 95, verse 7 to 8. Psalm 95, verse 7 to 8. This is what uh, it says there. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. What the author of Hebrews does is this. He points to the Exodus generation referred to in Psalm 95. So Psalm 95 actually points to the Exodus generation, the generation that wandered in the wilderness. That generation was promised rest in the promised land. And this is one of the two strands from the Old Testament that talks about rest. The promise of rest in the land. But do you remember, for those of us who you know, go to Sunday school and remember the stories, do you remember what happened to the generation that wandered in the wilderness? Do you remember what happened to them? They did not enter the promised land. The author of Hebrews described the failure of this entire generation, of this Exodus generation, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 to 19. 
they had witnessed what God did to deliver them in the Exodus event. In fact, they left Egypt led by Moses. What he means is this, they had personally witnessed many of God's mighty acts and miracles. And yet, in spite of this, they responded in disobedience and unbelief. And the result was the death of that generation. And the result was that they, that entire generation, they did not enter into the rest promised in the promised land. And we see verses 18 and 19, which actually are verses that are placed in peril. It links their disobedience to their heart unbelief. Then the author of Hebrews appeals to the church. We read again in, in Hebrews 4.1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, get it, let us fear, lest any of you should seem, or should seem to have failed to reach it. While God's promise of entering, entering true rest is still available, but the author gives us a warning. Be careful in case some of us, like the Exodus generation, fail to reach this rest. Why? Verse 2 continues. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Both the Exodus generation and the church today, we receive this good news. The Exodus generation had God's promise to deliver them from Egypt into the promised land. And us as a church, we have the promise of deliverance from sin found in Jesus Christ. And both of us, likewise, are called to respond in faith, to obey, and tr uh, to obey by trusting in what God has promised. However, the Exodus generation did not receive the promise of rest because of their unbelief. So do not fail, my friends, to enter God's true rest because of our unbelief. But consequently, if we believe, we will enter into God's rest. For verses 3 to 5 continues, For we have believed, enter that rest. As he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works, mean God's works, were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. What we see here is this. These verses pick up on the other main strand from the Old Testament that talks about rest. Picks up on the strand of Sabbath rest. So what the author of Hebrew does is this. The rest in the promised land in Psalm 95 is connected here with God's resting on the seventh day after six days of creation. And this is quoted from Genesis 2.2. So what he did, does is he picks this motive, this pattern of God's resting on the seventh day. And, and this is again amplified and picked up in Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. In the giving of the Mosaic law on Mount Sinai, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So God's people are to keep the Sabbath day holy by ceasing, by stopping from our work and dedicating 
the day to God. This pattern of work and Sabbath rest is grounded on God's own rest on the seventh day. And what do we do? When we rest, we remember that God also rested when His work of creation was completed. And just as God rested, God's people are to rest and to worship God. Note in verse 3, the author writes this, God's works were finished from the foundation of the world. And yet, the Exodus generation, they were, they were not allowed to enter into the rest. This points to the fact that God's Sabbath rest, which began in Genesis 2-2, was still open, is still open to us. Even today, if you look at the following verse, meaning the time of writing of Hebrews, the rest could still be entered. What this means first, my friends, is this is that until Christ returns, anyone can similarly enter into the rest when we trust in Jesus Christ. And verse 6 to 7 continues, Since therefore remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying, though David so long afterwards... Afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. <clears throat> what happens here? Verse 6 repeats verses 2 to 5. The Exodus generation failed to enter into rest because of their disobedience and unbelief. But for the church, we can enter this rest. It is today that we can enter into true rest and receive the blessing that the Exodus generation missed. How? Entering God's rest is centred upon recognising that God's work of creation is now completed. And for us Christians, to enter into God's rest is true trusting that, God's, that Christ's work of redeeming us from sin has been completed. And how is it that Christians can now enter into the rest promised to the Exodus generation. Verses 8 to 10 tell us, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You would think that the rest promised to the Exodus generation was their entrance into the promised land. It is that, but so much more. Because this rest in the promised land points to something greater. And the author of Hebrews actually does this. He does something really smart. He used the chronological order of the Bible to point to a fuller true rest. First thing back to me. The entrance into the promised land occurred when? In the day of Joshua. Okay? And Psalm 95 with his promise of today entering into God's rest is when? It's after Joshua's day. Okay? And if you look at verse 7, it's referred to as so long after. So what the author of Hebrew is saying that this promise of this rest was partially fulfilled in the entering of the promised land. But it points forward, it looks forward to something more. It looks forward 
to the true rest, salvation rest that is found in Jesus Christ. Therefore, this Sabbath rest, this rest in this promised land remains possible for us believers even now to enter in this life. We can cease from our striving. And our striving, if you're honest, often reflects our, certain, our uncertainty about our final destiny. Resting means enjoyment of being established in God's presence, of sharing in the everlasting joy that God Himself entered on the seventh day God rested. What we see here in this passage is these two strands of Sabbath rest and rest in the promised land being fulfilled and culminating in the promise of a final end time rest. This rest is primarily in the future as indicated by the verses that we still need to continue to strive to enter into this rest and giving us the promise that the struggles of this life will cease in verses 9 to 10. Yet there's this sense that this future rest touches on our everyday present experience of this life. And we see that in the use of the word today in verse 7. What this means is this. Jesus Christ, by His death and, resurrected, death and resurrection, has already inaugurated, has already started this rest. But the perfect true rest awaits our consummation, awaits completion when Christ comes again. What this means for us practically is this. We can find rest now. We can find some rest now, though imperfectly. And we have no need to strive and work for our salvation. We no need to worry and work to be right before God because Christ has done the work and completed the work for us. If we but trust in that, we can rest in that. But our fuller, complete rest will come only when Christ comes again. My friends, do you ache and yearn for this true rest? Then do not let unbelief prevent you from experiencing this rest in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> this is Augustine of Hippo. Next slide, please. He lived in 354 to 430 AD and is well, most well known for his book, Confessions. It's an autobiographical book. But behind Augustine's confessions were his non-stop desperate searches for fulfillment, excessive pleasures, false religions, philosophy, overindulgence in sensual pleasures and worldly distractions. All his pursuits were fertilities that left him so weary of himself that he can only cry out, How long, O Lord, how long? He was a man experiencing unrest. And at the moment when he uttered that cry, circumstances in the garden led his eyes to a passage in Romans 13, verses 13 to 14, that showed him he could be freed from sin. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarrelling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He read this passage, he believed and he obeyed. He trusted and put on Jesus Christ. And shortly afterwards, Augustine was baptised. And almost a decade after his baptism, after deep reflection upon the transformation that took place in him, when he finally believed, he wrote his book, Confessions. This book was his testimony of God's interaction with a soul that has finally found rest in its Creator. His heart bursting with the reality of God, Augustine begins his book with, Great are you, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. Great is your power and your wisdom is infinite. And in contrast to God, he writes, What is man? And yet there is connection between the two. Humans, we are a small part of God's creation and short-lived as we are, we still, need to, we still have a need to worship God. And in spite of sin, each of us feel a longing to reach out to our Creator. Why is this so? Why is this so? Augustine realizes that it is the doing of God. Because you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. We can only find true rest when we rest in God. In fact, our Lord Jesus Christ Himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30 invites us to come rest in Him. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We find rest for our souls not in a program, not in activities, not in something we do or something we stop doing. We find true rest in a person the person of Jesus Christ. He will give us true rest. And we are to strive to enter into this rest. It sounds a bit strange, but we are to strive to make every effort. Hebrews 4, 11-13 tells us, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Verse 11 calls us again to persevere in obedience. Remember that salvation is not based on good works, but on trusting on what Jesus Christ has done for us. And even the fact that we can endure and persevere in what Christ has done for us, that persevering comes from God working in us. But we are warned to endure, to persevere in our striving to enter into God's rest. This warning is God's grace to keep us in the faith. This warning continues that the Word of God will expose our innermost thoughts and intentions, just like it did for Augustine revealing that he was searching and pursuing unrest substitutes. God's Word 
will expose our hearts. Even now, as I read this passage, God's Word is revealing your heart of unrest. Are we resting in God? Or are we pursuing other unrest substitutes? Have we entered into God's true rest available to us in Jesus Christ? You know, as, as heritage Singaporeans, how do we find rest? How do we find rest? Hebrews 4.3 tells us, For we who believe enter that rest. Whoever we may be, if we have but believed, if we have taken God as His word and rested on it, we do enter. We enter into and enjoy true and blessed rest. Because God gives us true rest in Jesus Christ, we can trust and enter into God's rest. So do not harden your hearts. Hear and believe God's good news of true rest in Jesus Christ. To the person who has never tasted God's way of true rest, I urge you, my friend, I urge you, my non-believing friend, you who have not entered into the rest of God, try God's way of rest. You may have everything a Singaporean would want, but for lack of one thing, you have not rested. You are always striving, but you are not happy. Or you think you do not have what every Singaporean desire. You make every effort and work hard to achieve what you want. But even as you get and get, you still find that you are not satisfied. Your heart is not at rest. You fill your heart with things, but you find that your heart is still restless. So I plead with you, my friends, I plead with you. Today, if you hear His voice, please do not harden your hearts. If you can trust in Jesus Christ right now, who came to be a man to save men lost in sin, who suffered that men like us might not suffer, who is risen and gone to heaven, who is coming again a second time to judge the world, if you can place your trust in Him, you will find true rest. Ask yourself, have I found have I found true rest in Jesus Christ? And what can I do about it today? If you want to respond to this call today to trust in Jesus Christ, after this service, you can approach any of the elders. There'll be some of us in front here, some of us behind, outside the doors. We'll be very happy to talk to you about Jesus Christ and how you can find true rest in Him. And we'll be happy to pray together with you. To the person who once did rest, but now do not. Ask yourself, what fears, what lies hinder me from seizing from my striving and finding rest in Christ? I urge you, my friends, return to your rest. You will never find rest outside of Christ. You may for a while find happiness in sin or find some temporary rest in your God substitutes but you cannot ever find true rest as God offers. Your bank account, your status, your possessions, even your human relationships, they may give you temporary rest, but they do not offer true everlasting rest. And if you're truly a child of God, 
you will not rest easy in sin. If you have once but tasted the true bread of life, Jesus Christ, the stale bread of this world will never delight your taste buds. Remember the joy of your first love when you first receive Jesus Christ and return back to Him. Because God's mercy is still open to you. Jesus' steadfast love is still there for you. And the grace of God still waits for you. So turn from a sinful pursuit of unrest substitutes and return to a true rest in Jesus Christ. Repent and trust in Jesus Christ. To the person who is experiencing rest right now, I encourage you in the words of the author of Hebrews, strive to keep it. Ask yourself, what are ways I can cultivate rest in the Lord Jesus Christ? Daily remind yourself of the gospel. Daily repent and turn away from your restlessness. Repent of your trusting in unrest substitutes. Daily rest in the gospel, remembering that in Christ Jesus, God has done it all. You don't need to strive to merit your salvation. You should also set aside time daily for physical rest. As one of my doctor's friend tells me, sometimes the godliest things you can do is sleep. I know you may be thinking, huh, Oli, I barely have time to finish my work, let alone rest. But what we do when we rest now is a reflection of the true rest we already process in Jesus Christ, the last day and time rest, when we will joyfully worship God in His holy presence forever. So when we rest, we remind ourselves and we reflect this rest that we already have in Christ Jesus. We set aside time to cease from our labour, to stop from our work, to rest so that we can worship God. And this present exercise again reminds us of this future reality that we now have when we trusted in Christ. It serves again to remind and strengthen our hearts as we hope and wait and hope again in the end time true rest that is coming. So my friends, look at your schedule. Put aside the time to rest. It may be one day in seven, or it may be some other schedule that works for you. But set aside a time to cease working, to rest, to sleep, to rest in Jesus Christ, and set apart the time as holy, spending the time with God's people, worshipping God. And when you do so, you combat the lie, you combat the lie, that you need to continue working so that the world, your world, can be okay. Because God is God and we are not. Seizing from work and resting in God reminds us of our humanness and trains our heart to trust and rest that the God that upholds the world and God continues to uphold the world even when you stop working. God is God and we are not. As part of your rest, come and gather as church and worship God together. Set apart Sunday as a time to hear, speak, and sing the gospel to one another. Live out the applications of the gospel as a church community. Encourage one another to rest now as a reminder of the true rest we have in Christ. Let's do this together as grace together. Remember, my friends, as Spurgeon said so well, to lie down and rest on what Christ has done is safest and best. And paraphrasing the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy, 
I am the chief of sinners, but Jesus died for us. This is what Jesus Christ has done for us. Guilty in ourselves, but accepted in the beloved. Needy, poor, miserable, and wretched. But in Christ Jesus, dear to God, as dear as we have never sinned, we are one with Jesus and heir with Christ to all the inheritance of God. And very shortly, very shortly, we shall be with Jesus when He comes again or when we meet Him. And when this happens, we will be enjoying true rest and pleasures forevermore. My friends, isn't this the rest our hearts truly yearn 